So how many of y'all are football fans today? All right. How many of y'all uh, love love another sport? Softball, I believe was softball. Food. Eating competitions are you? <laughs> Shot put. Basketball. Okay. What was yours? Pickleball. We have some pickle paintball. Ping pong, I'm sorry, I am congested, so I'm only hearing half of what's being said. So, we've got pickleball people here, which is just ping pong on steroids. So, um, so we in America love our sports, we're, we're a sports people, right? I grew up uh, loving football, I, I watched football as a kid, um, when I was old enough to play, I started playing with flag football. How many of y'all started with flag football? Or I moved up into tackle football. You guys, flag footballers, tackle football. Um, I got at least one ER trip out of that. That was a good thing. Uh, after my middle school year, I, I focused more on band, and so I wasn't in, in football as much. So my relationship with football changed. I still enjoyed watching and playing. We, we played backyard football for a while. That was the first place I broke my nose. Um, first time I broke my nose, I should say. Uh, you know, when you break a, a hand or a foot, they say, can you move it, right? Evidently, you're not supposed to be able to do that with your nose. Found that out um, after, you know, doing that and my mom just about passing out. It's a good thing. As I've, I've continued uh, to develop my relationship with football, my love for football and sports, um, I was a, a fan of the Colts for a, for a while, uh, never a fan of Jim Ursay, but uh, remember when Harbaugh was the, the quarterback and, and then through Peyton Manning and then Jim Ursay got full control and everything fell apart and so it's, it's hard to love the Colts anymore. But... I was I loved the sport until I began to work with some players who had been injured through it, and I, I began to see the effect that the game has on people, and and I still enjoy a really good football game, especially when you can see the players are having fun, right? I do not though enjoy the smash mouth, destroy your enemy football, because the only person who wins in that game is the dentist who has to put the teeth back in, right? My, my relationship with the game has, has shifted and changed. I still enjoy it, but, but I struggle. Anybody else have that experience? Yeah, I struggle, to, I struggle with it. I do. Um, so my, my relationship with Christ has sort of flexed and changed over the years, too. When I was a kid, I, I was taken to church every week. I was born United Methodist. I was raised United Methodist in the church every single week. When I was a kid, if we were sick, dad would say, well, let's go to church anyway. You need to be in church because you're not that sick. I mean, share the love, love. exactly. Um, I did enjoy Sunday school more than worship when I was a kid. Anybody else experience that? Because I got to talk with my friends, right? I, I didn't, and sitting listening to somebody talk for Half an hour, I was, I didn't have that attention span. Um, there's a reason I preach. <laughs> anyway, keep going. So I still don't have that attention span to listen to somebody else. <laughs> um, but 
but when I became a teenager, um, I was more interested in, in looking the part than being the part. Does that make sense? I wanted to look like a good kid, but I really didn't care if I was a good kid. I wanted to look like a Christian, but I hadn't experienced God. Um, that, that, was, that was my experience as, as a child with Christ. I believed that God loved people. I believed there was a God, but I really didn't know God. When I came to Christ when I was 16 and experienced that God's love was for even me, um, things changed a little bit. I, I began immersing myself in who, who is God and what does God want with my life and for me. And when I accepted my call into ministry when I was 17 and then uh, beginning going into college and seminary, my, my faith shifted from that first initial, I came to salvation and I was interested in getting myself to heaven and maybe those I loved. I really didn't care about anybody else. Anybody live in that moment for a while? I just want to get to heaven, right? Didn't care about anybody else. Just get me and my friends and, and we're good. I began learning more and more about faith and, and in my college and seminary years, my, my focus of faith began, on, began to be defending what I believed. That's what my focus of faith, that was where I was passionate. And then when I started serving my first church, it was how do I make this stuff work? So I went from orthodoxy, defending my faith, to orthopraxy, helping everybody put faith into action. That's important stuff, isn't it? But that was the focus in 2003, I moved to, to Cloverdale United Methodist Church, and, and that was the church I've shared before that we got exposed to mold and got sick, and I began to learn there was something more. And for the last 20 years, I've been unpacking what that something more is. Come back to that in a minute. Let me ask you a question. In my development of my faith, was my childhood faith valid, where I just enjoyed being with people and I thought God loved me, but I really didn't know God? Was that faith valid? Yeah. Was, was my faith as a teenager where I wanted to at least show that I was a good person, even if I hadn't experienced it yet, was that faith valid? Yeah. Yeah. It was valid for the age I was. And that time when I was defending my faith and showing everybody else how they were wrong and I was right because I knew everything, was that part of my faith valid? It may not have been fully mature, but was it valid? Yes. And that time when I was teaching, how many of you are glad I understand what I believe? How many of you are glad that I know what I don't know too? That time when I was practicing and just teaching, those are important things. And those, wherever you find yourself in this spectrum of faith, all of those things are important, aren't they? All of those ways of believing are important. How many of you are thankful to God that God has brought you through different understandings of faith and helped you to mature over time? How many of you have matured over time? Would you please pray with me? In thanksgiving to God for all the ways we dwell in fame, we give you thanks, O Lord.
For those of you who are in a, I need to defend what I believe aspect of faith, that's still faith. For those who are, I need to just get myself and others to heaven that I love, that's still faith. It is equally valid. Do you see what I'm saying? Would you, would you thank God again for that? For all the ways we dwell in faith, we give you thanks, oh God. So just like my understanding of football has, has morphed over the years and my experience with Christ has morphed over the years, my experience with the church has changed as well. This last couple months, we've been talking, or last six weeks, we've been talking about BUMC and how we're going to be United Methodist. Because we have chosen to be United Methodist, right? We've chosen that. One of the things I... So I am so passionate about our church is that we focus on being a people who love our neighbors. Carol got me this mug my first year here, and it's, it says, do no harm, do good, stay in love with God, right? So there are three simple rules. I brought it today, Carol, in Thanksgiving for you and your ministry but I also brought it to remind me that there are things that are important for us to do. And loving God, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves is the most important thing we do. Love. Love is the most important thing we do. In the church, we have, I've been in the church, as I said, my whole life. My I was born February 16th, 1973. Some of you are doing the math and realize how old I turned this year. And I have been in the church, in the United Methodist Church, ever since. And, and when I was little, my experience of the United Methodist Church was what most kids experience. You just go and you, you have your Sunday school teachers you love. How many of you had a Sunday school teacher you loved as a kid? Yeah, those people who pour their lives into little ankle biters and tolerate snotty noses, right? Beautiful things. Those of you who teach Sunday school, you change lives. You change lives. You change lives. I'm here because somebody loved me when I was a kid. My sixth grade Sunday school teacher, uh, when I was, or seventh grade, when I was in seventh grade, our church got hit by a tornado. And we were worshiping at my middle school and one Sunday on our way into church we passed somebody who was pulled over by a police officer and as we passed him I looked and I said that's my Sunday school teacher Woody <laughs> and so when he got to church we were meeting at the school he said if you had pulled over I wouldn't have gotten a ticket because I was telling him I was speeding so I would be able to teach Sunday school and he didn't believe me. Woody was one of my Sunday school teachers. He went into ministry and I followed him at Cloverdale. The church that taught me so much. 
Sunday school was my experience and of the United Methodist Church. When I was in middle school and into high school, my experience of the United Methodist Church began to become a, a, a sort of um, love-hate relationship because we, we lost a beloved pastor. And I didn't understand how moves worked. How many of you have ever wondered how the heck the bishop decides where they're going to move pastors? Yeah. <laughs> that was from Pastor Bruce. <laughs> and, and so we lost a beloved pastor and our church split. And, and then we got hit by the tornado. And then the church came in and, and helped us stay afloat in that time. It was, it was a, a moment I, I learned a lot about the church. But when I received my call into ministry, there was no doubt for me that, that this church, the United Methodist Church, was where I was going to be serving I went to University of Indianapolis because it was a United Methodist College, still is. I went there because I wanted to be a United Methodist pastor. I have served two churches while I was in college and then six churches since then. Bishop appointed me in 1998 to uh, Maxwell United Methodist Church as their pastor. This is the sixth church I've served since then. There have been times, I confess, where I thought about going away. Because I have seen in the church, I've seen times where our United Methodist Church has done amazing things, where our congregations have reached out to their neighbors with love. I have also seen United Methodist congregations who thought of themselves as a members-only club, and you had to hit a th certain threshold. Have you ever seen this? Where if you weren't this kind of person, you didn't fit. I've seen United Methodist churches be that way. I've seen our United Methodist leadership let pastors get away with a whole bunch of stupid. I've also seen them hold pastors accountable. My relationship with the United Methodist Church has changed over the last five decades of my life. And one of the ways that I have seen that change happen is by looking at how we determine what successful ministry looks like. When I was early in my ministry, they were trying to protect the system. And so keeping everybody happy was what was successful. And if you as a pastor didn't keep everybody happy, what happened? You got moved. For a while, it was about getting more butts in the seats and how we could grow our church. That was what was successful ministry. So we had this church growth movement, and, and that church growth movement turned into the church multiplication. You're a successful pastor if you end up starting a new campus or two or five. Never mind that most likely you pulled those people from other churches. All through this time, I have seen us focus on so many different things as a church. I told you I'd come back to Cloverdale. When I was at Cloverdale, I learned that if a church focuses on one thing, that church will be successful, whether it grows or whether it shrinks. If a church focuses on one thing, 
For those of you who haven't heard the story, when we were at Cloverdale, we got exposed to mold. I got sick. Elizabeth got sick. Bex got sick. Our dog got sick. And the congregation started fighting with one another about stuff. Things got said that weren't helpful. But here's what we did. We loved our people. And we invited them to love one another. I don't care your experience with football, baseball, basketball, softball, ping pong, pickleball, whatever. Whatever your experience is with Jesus. Whatever your experience is with the United Methodist Church. What I care about is this that you know that God loves you and we love you. And that's what I learned in the midst of the struggle for my life in Cloverdale. The last month of being sick is an effect of that experience of of that church. And I could choose to be bitter and hate. Or I could love God and love my neighbor. You all have had different life experiences that have led you to this moment. And you have the same choice before you. You could choose to be bitter and hate or you could choose to love. And a successful life chooses love every single time. A successful church chooses love every single time. We don't focus on church growth. We don't focus on protecting the system. We don't focus on orthodoxy or orthopraxy. We focus on loving God and loving our neighbor. That's what I learned at Cloverdale. And when you do that, regardless if you grow as a church or shrink as a church, you are going to grow as a human being. And you will be successful and your church will be successful. And that's the kind of church that's worth being a part of. All the other stuff we do doesn't really matter. If you, if you look back at our first part of 1 Corinthians 13, if you, if you look back at that, Paul gave all this stuff. I've got a little bit different translation. It's the PKCUMCV, the Pastor Kurtz Christ and I met this church version. If we have the best worship band and choir this side of eternity, next, if your preacher speaks with angelic voice, doesn't cough too much. But if we don't love, we are just a people doing nothing but floating hot air, right? If we can speak truth to power and love. If we can heal the minds of the broken. That's important stuff, right? If we can deconstruct all the systems of oppression and reorient the world in the way it should work right, but we don't have love, we are vacuous bags of nothing. We thrive on orthodoxy and orthopraxy. If we do all the right things and believe all the right things, if we serve to our last breath, if we even sacrifice everything, but we don't have love, we have accomplished nothing. Right? The end of all things, my friends, 
God has called us to love. That is what success looks like. That is what a good life looks like. I want to be a kind of church. You know, people are looking at the United Methodist right, Church right now and how it's falling apart, and they're saying, oh my gosh, what a terrible time. I look at it as an awesome time. My relationship with the church over the years, there was a time as a young pastor when I knew everything. You remember those days when you knew everything? Right? When I knew everything and I, and I knew what to do, that my friends and I, when we saw all the brokenness in the church, we, we dreamed of the day when we got power and we could find the little red button and push it and blow everything up. I had no idea it would look like this. And we can lament that and grieve that, or we can say we have an opportunity. We stand at a moment where we get to reshape the future of the church. We can make our BUMC a UMC that is the place where people come to be loved. Where all means all means all. There was a poem posted on our our Facebook group this week by Pat Wright. Yesterday, I think, Pat put it up there. I don't want to be a member of an exclusive club open only to a select few, concerned with rules and laws and who is in or out. I want to be a part of a church that lives and breathes belonging, the embodiment of acceptance, our wide expanse of welcome, a holy haven for all the hungry hearts. So Lord, let us be the incarnation of inclusion, a tiny slice of heaven in our little corner of this earth where all means all means all. The end of today, we will know who has won the Super Bowl, the Chiefs or the Eagles. Every day when we go into the world and we choose to love, that is a day we win. Every moment where you go and instead of being impatient, you're patient, you have won the game. Every time that you have chosen to not keep a record of wrongs against those who have wronged you, you have won the game. Every time you have chosen to not delight in evil when somebody gets what's coming to them, because let's face it, it's really nice to see that happen. But instead, you delight in truth. You've won the game. Every time you're kind, you have played on the field of faith and been found faithful, and you have won. Because love is patient, love is kind. Doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not vain or self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Doesn't keep a record of wrong. Doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love protects, trusts, hopes. It perseveres. And love never fails. Football will pass away. A lot of other stuff's going to pass away. But love will not. Please close with me in our, our prayer here. Whoop. God, help me live and love as a disciple. As you follow Jesus, and you have a choice of being patient or impatient, when you choose patience, 
your Jesus in the world. When you follow Jesus and you have a choice of being kind or unkind and you choose to be kind, you are Jesus in the world. My people, I pray this week God helps you to live and love as a follower of Jesus. 